You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Do you feel betrayed by life, your body, or by someone that you love? You are not alone and you are not weak or overly emotional for feeling the way that you do. Betrayal is one of the most overwhelmingly painful experiences to navigate because it strikes at the core of who you are and what you are worth. No matter how gutted you feel, there is hope. You can flourish, not in spite of your experience, but because of it, I know. After 23 years of marriage, my world was shattered when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me with five different women for 15 years. I lost everything that day, my identity, my worth, and the future I had worked so hard to create. While it was a long and arduous journey back to myself, today I know who I am what I want, and I am happier and more confident than I ever was before. I've got what I call naked self-worth, which is the ability to see, know, and love yourself for who you are, not for what you accomplish or for who you are in relation to others. No matter what has shattered your heart, if you're ready to get clear on who you are, what you want, and to learn how good life really can be, then life choreography is for you. Even if you feel too old or are too busy because you have kids at home and you're in charge of everything. Life choreography is a comprehensive five-month, five-step program that empowers you to strip out of your labels, roles, and scripts and to reveal yourself as you are, not as you think you should be. To learn more, go to nakedselfworth.com and download your free guide that shows you how to untangle yourself from the past, reclaim your sexy, and start re-choreographing life on your own terms so you can love and be loved for exactly who you most authentically are. Hello, welcome to Flaunt, find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. Today, I've got a pretty incredible guest. I have got Kim Willoughby, and she is a domestic relations and estate planning attorney. And we're going to have a conversation today about some of those legal things that you might need to know if you have experienced infidelity or a betrayal in your marriage. Now, I want to preface by saying I'm not encouraging a divorce. I'm not not encouraging a divorce. What I want to do with today's show is give you kind of a broad, general understanding of some of the things that might be possible for you, whether it's a premarital agreement, a postnup, cohabitation, just any of those kind of generic things that you might be thinking, oh, I didn't know that existed, but that might really be an option for me. So without welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you, Laura. All right. So let's just kind of start with the bigger picture. There's a broad range of legal remedies that people have. And I think a lot of people don't know what some other possible legal remedies are, And when you're hit with a betrayal or an infidelity, most people are in such the state of emotional panic that they don't even know who to turn to or what to do. They just kind of think, oh, it's a divorce or it's nothing. Mm -hmm. So will you start by kind of letting listeners know what are some of the things that are available that might help them if they find themselves in this situation? Sure thing. So I do have a lot of people come to me and they say something has happened in our marriage and it's kind of rocky. We don't want to give up on it, but we also don't want to be quite as vulnerable as we feel like we are now because we've heard 
stories about other people's divorces or we've been divorced before and we know just how traumatic it can be, how expensive it can be, how long it can take um, and how much um, of your wealth that you lose during that. But um, people also want to know, you know, I they want to know that they can focus on their marriage without a divorce looming um, that could wreck some things that they don't really want to be focusing on now. So for instance, when people have found out about an affair or when people think there might be an affair, you know, they're like, I want to focus on our relationship, um, but I'm scared to death that I'm going to have to go through divorce or I'm going to lose some money. And while that is hanging over my head, I can't focus on our relationship relationship. So some people will look into marital agreements. And what those are, are legal contracts that people enter into in order to resolve some things, most things, or everything that they would have to resolve if they did end up divorcing. And then the thought is they can just kind of put that to the side, and then, then they can focus on the relationship. Now, some people will do these marital agreements in a way where... Um, the person who has betrayed like would receive a lot more than they would have otherwise. And it's not that like the other person is necessarily feeling so much remorse or they're under duress or anything like that, but they want to create a safe space to say, look, if you work on this with me, um, it is going to, this agreement will keep you less vulnerable, more safe. You won't have to worry. Oh my gosh, what if she leaves or what if he leaves and and you know i'm hanging on a, uh, out there on a limb rather than i know i'm really protected so they will come to me for that um, it has its own challenges but that is one thing that people can do as a legal remedy mm-hmm. okay so people can go to an attorney come to you and set one of these marital agreements is this strictly financial or is this something that could also be related to kids um so you can do both in and and really in agreements you can put into an agreement whatever you want right so sometimes people will you know we see um partners making contracts with each other about all sorts of things Um, and some of them would be legally enforceable and some of them wouldn't, but it doesn't matter because it's between the two of them, they're going to keep their agreements, right? Right. The only like catch is that with a marital agreement, a judge, if it ever comes to that, a judge can absolutely enforce the financial pieces and they may or may not enforce pieces related to children and they're not going to enforce at all pieces related to, you know, if I stray again, I'm going to X or, um, you know, things like that. And on the kid piece, so if people came to agreements about children and then they divorced like six months later, a court's probably going to enforce it because they're going to say, this is, you know, you guys made these agreements about these kids where they were at when they were six and seven. But if the marriage lasts for another 10 years, they're not going to necessarily enforce those same agreements for a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old. That makes complete sense. So I'm sure that listeners have heard about prenups and postnups, um, a postnuptial agreement. What's the difference between a postnup and a marital agreement? Um, none. So our statute basically calls most of these agreements between people who are married or get married, marital agreements, sort of as a, you know, that's just a, a type of agreement. And then a premarital agreement is before and a postmarital agreement is after, but marital agreement can be either one of them. Got it. So can people do this on their own or do they need an attorney to draft this? So I'm, I'm going to say absolutely in this circumstance, best to have an attorney. And I'm a big, big proponent of online forms. Like the Colorado court system has amazing and easy to use online forms for divorces. And people should, if they can use those all day long, but for marital agreements and prenups, it's a different thing entirely. 
because A, there isn't a form online. There just is not a form online. Um, there is what's called an orange book form that the Colorado Bar Association finally did just in like the last two years that is kind of a, a canned form, what we call a canned form that people can use, but I don't think it's accessible online. Everything I've seen online is garbage um, and people need to create it for their own circumstance, right? And everybody's situation is different. But the biggest piece is unlike any other, well, not any other, but unlike most contracts, um, the Colorado state legislature has said for these contracts, you have to do certain things and you can't do certain other things. So if you don't know what you have to do or what you can't do, you can make an agreement that no judge is ever going to enforce. Got it. So is this something that people can do in any state? Yes, people can do this in any state in the U.S. There are some countries um, that will not enforce them, but there are in all states you can enforce them. But in all states, there's a little bit different of a statute that tells you what has to be done for them to be enforceable in that state. Right. So listeners who are in Colorado can reach out to you, but listeners in California need to find a California attorney to help them. Yes. And that's a great example, Laura, because California has much stricter rules around um, marital agreements than does Colorado. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay. So that's one of the possible remedies that people can use to kind of put their finances, put their marriage, put all the legal things on hold. What about some of the other complicated things that happen during an affair, such as the partner who's cheating starts using marital resources to take care of his or her affair partner. Is that something that people have a legal remedy for? Sometimes. And it's really difficult because um, there isn't there isn't a statute. So there's two kinds of laws. Um, there's statutory law, which is these are the laws the legislature writes down. They say, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. This is how you do it. And then there's judge-made law, what we call common law, that says the statute kind of sort of says this, but not entirely. So we have to interpret it. And here's how we interpret it. And now that's the law. Um, there is no statutory law that says anything about what happens when somebody um, uses marital money for non-marital purposes. But there's a lot of common law that talks about it. So for instance, in our judge-made law or common law, um, one of the things that it says is, look, you if one person's name is on an asset, so like a bank account, um, and the other person's isn't, it's just the title holder stuff in Colorado. So they can do whatever the heck they want with it, whatever they want. Um, and it goes for both parties. If there's a joint account, both of them can do whatever the heck they want with it. And they don't really need the other person's permission until they're divorcing. So once a divorce is started, there is what's called a temporary mandatory injunction that goes into place immediately that says to both of the partners, look, you can't transfer assets, you can't conceal assets, you can't buy something that you wouldn't out of the ordinary course of business and you can't incur debt out of the ordinary course of business. And most trial judges will say that prevents people from going out and taking their, their girlfriend, boyfriend, weekend friend to Tahiti for a really expensive vacation. And then there's this gray area, Laura, in between. So the judge made law says, if you do something in anticipation of divorce that dissipates the marital estate, makes it less, i.e. I went with my girlfriend to Tahiti for a really expensive vacation two minutes before I filed the petition for dissolution, a judge can bring that back. So even though they spent $20,000 on this vacation and it's gone, the judge can say, we're still going to pretend it's there because you dissipated this in anticipation of divorce to the detriment of the other person, we're gonna pretend it's there. So they have a remedy there, but like for these people who there's a long-term affair or God forbid, there's the second family, you're kind of out of luck. This is a, you know, you it, pay attention type of deal. Yeah. And you know, that's really good to know because I think when you've been cheated on, there's that sense of you want revenge 
and you're angry and you're mad. So listeners, be careful because I know in that anger, one of the things that I wanted to do is get away and take a trip. (laughs) So that was a great example. That's an absolute great example of that. Don't do anything right now in anger that you might end up really regretting later and hurting yourself later. Yeah. yeah, really good to know. Okay, so what about if you're not sure? You've just found out about an affair. You don't know if it's long-term, short-term. You don't know what you're going to do, but you really feel like you need space from your partner. Is there a, an option to just filing for divorce? What, what is separation all about? How does that work? Laura, that's so interesting. That is one of um, the two questions as a divorce lawyer that I always get. Well, what about this legal separation thing? Uh, I don't know where people get the idea, uh, but in Colorado, we really, for all intents and purposes, we just don't have it. It does not exist. So um, when you separate physically from your spouse, you're just married, but you're not living together. And there are lots of people who are happily married, not living together. So that whole, I'm getting space by getting a rental is not a legal separation. What a legal separation is, is it's in Colorado, is it's going through the entire divorce process, but at the end, you get a piece of paper that says decree for legal separation as opposed to decree for divorce. And it does a whole lot of nothing. So what it does is it gives um, the spouses a time period of six months where nobody can get remarried to somebody else. And that's kind of it. And then after the six months, either person can say, you know what, I just want to be divorced or not. And then they're legally separated and they can't get remarried, but everything else is done. The court has to still go through all the same process and come out with the same orders of here's who gets what, here's what maintenance is, here's what child support is. Um, the only people, the only reason people used to do it was for health insurance, main health maintain health insurance, that's not a thing anymore. Um, Because of religious considerations, that's barely a thing anymore. And then for estate planning. So people who have done really sophisticated estate planning, who don't wanna botch it up, but don't wanna be married and financially entangled during their marriage will do this. And there's like, you know, one in 500,000 of those people. Got it, got it. But you can file for divorce, go through a lot of the process and then at any point in time say never mind i don't want to be divorced yes you can you can put a hold on what people are doing financially by doing exactly that it's not an inexpensive way of going about things but it is a way no now you had mentioned earlier about online forms and as an attorney i'm a proponent of using an attorney but at the same time it is nice that there are some online forms what's the difference cost wise generally between doing it yourself and using an attorney and then i'm adding another layer of questioning on here too what about using one attorney for both of you or do you both need an attorney so i'm going to start with the last question because i get that from time to time too um there for any domestic relations attorney or any litigation attorney, which means, you know, person versus person in a courtroom setting or in a filing setting, it is unethical for an attorney to represent both people. So if somebody says, I can represent you both, they are unethical and could lose their license and should lose their license. Now, there's a different type of attorney called a mediator. Um, mediators don't have to be attorneys, but they can be attorneys. And most of the good divorce mediators are attorneys. Those people can help both people, but they're not representing either one of them. And their agreement with people will specifically say, I am not your lawyer. I'm not going to give you legal advice. I am, can never be your lawyer, but they can do mediation to help people reach agreements together. Um, so, so those are the, the differences between the two, but the, the clear answer is no attorney can represent both of them, represent both of them. So then the question becomes, well, do we have to use one at all? And the answer is no. And most people don't, in fact. So I, I think a good 75% of people who divorce do not use any lawyers. Um, the Colorado court system has provided nice forms. 
good instructions. Um, judges will say, and I hear it all the time from the bench, you can also do your own dental work, but we don't really recommend it. But for some people is perfectly fine and they can do it um, very successfully. And then there's like, how much does it cost? And it totally depends. But you know what? I think the biggest determination determiner of how much it costs is, Laura, people's mental health. <laughs> so it's not how much you have. It's not, you know, how complex it is. It's people's mental health. Um, and these things can cost anywhere from a couple thousand to a couple million, like literally. Um, it's just a huge and enormous range. I really love that you went there with mental health because I think a lot of people have the idea that like in a TV courtroom drama, you can drag your cheating partner to court and the judge will be horrified and everybody will be horrified and you can put all this stuff out there and everybody will say, oh, you were awful and how dare you and, and punish you. <laughs> and that's not really the case. Not even close. In fact, in our materials for new clients, we give them two things. We give them a article on what really happens in court and it's nothing like that. And we give them an a letter from judges on what they see from the bench when people try to do that. Um, and it's not kind and it's not anything that you, you want to be. Um, court is dry and boring and the judge looks at spreadsheets and worksheets that calculate formulas for judges because they're not good at math. That's all they look at, that's all they care about. And in fact, the statute from the legislature says, you may not judge, you may not look at faults. And so they can't, they'll, they'll kind of yell at people who try to make it into a drama series because um, they can't consider it. And then they feel kind of like, you know, you're trying to sway me with this stuff and I'm, I can't be swayed. So I'm gonna smack that down quickly. So it truly doesn't matter if somebody's done the wrong thing. If somebody's a bad person, nobody truly cares in a divorce. If they do the wrong thing with money or they do the wrong thing with children, people care. If they do the wrong thing within the context of this intimate family relationship, they don't care. So fault-based divorce is not a thing. Is it a thing in, <laughs> nope. <laughs> is it a thing in any state? Does anybody, yeah. care? Not, not that I'm advocating that anybody should <laughs> go into court and make it a drama, but is that a thing in any state anymore? Yes, there are states with jury trials for divorces and where <laughs> does matter for spousal support, um, otherwise known as alimony. And, you know, it's like Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, I mean, fun, but not so healthy for people or their Wow. That's crazy. Okay. So you mentioned maintenance, also known as spousal support, and that's money that when you divorce that one party pays the other party who, who needs it. It's not just like, oh yeah, it's a free for all. What, what about that? Does that matter? at all if somebody has, has had an affair, if say the woman has been home and she's taking care of the family, that matters more than if somebody has cheated, right? Yep, the, the fault piece is just cannot be considered at all. And now the legislature has tried to make this really formulaic, like child support has always been like a formula. Well, now maintenance is too. And so for most people, the judge is gonna plug in one spouse's income and the other spouse's income. And what the Colorado legislature says to do is gonna pop out a number and nine times out of 10, the judge is just gonna use that number. Got it. That totally makes sense. So on that mental health piece, <laughs> when you're going through a divorce and there's all of this anger and there's contention and maybe the cheating partner really isn't quite willing to do this and you start healing and they don't, how, how do you help bridge that gap between one person who's got their mental health kind of under control and the other party who is still really fighting? What can you do in a situation like that? If anything, um, not a whole lot, right? I tell people, um, who want to get a divorce. So sometimes people get a divorce and one person will say, I'm ready. They're not, or they don't even know. 
And my first piece of advice is, okay, you need to let them know and you need to wait about a year. Because if you go divorce while this person is going through the stages of grief that include the anger stage, and that's going to be long, it's going to be a long, painful, unfortunate, costly divorce for you. But if you let them get through it, you're going to have a much shorter, less costly divorce. So that's the first thing I do. But, you know, people don't listen to me a lot. They're like, I want to get divorced now. Um, <laughs> and you just have to let people go through the process. The court will put people on a timeline. Um, so one person can't rush it through. Guys always want to rush it through. And one person can't dink around forever. Women like to process. And I don't even mean to be sexist, but this is what I've seen 30 years of doing this. Women like to go through the whole process, um, but the court's not going to let them do it forever. They are going to say, you're going to be divorced in between three months and six months. Yeah. So I, I love that you said that because that is so true. I, I think processing and going through the stages of grief is very important. What are the legal implications though of waiting, of spending that year or whatever amount of time processing, letting people calm down, learning the truth about things? What are some of those costs or risks or things that people should be aware of if they choose to do that? It, so one of the risks can be that one person, um, you know, makes off with the money, but because it's in anticipation of divorce, that's going to be mitigated by the court. Another kind of risk is for, for literally every month that you're married, you are exposed to a longer term of maintenance. What I tell people is that's, you know, when you do that cost benefit analysis, how much more it's going to cost you to have the ugly divorce than something where everybody can kind of just go, all right, we're done here. Here's how we're going to do the numbers. Um, it is still better to wait the time for people, for everybody to kind of catch up. Um, and then the other risks are just market, right? But we really can't, you don't know which way it's going to go. Um, I would have told people at different junctures of our political timeline in the last 10 years, this is when the market's going to go down. This is when it's going to go up. And I've been wrong every time. Um, <laughs> but it's true that, you know, there are some there are some things you can kind of predict, like for some people, they say, well, I'm about to get a new job or I'm about to have a sale event or I'm, you know, something is about to happen and that makes them want to do a divorce faster, even if I would say, hold on. Yeah. And if I'm hearing you right, you can do a marital agreement in yeah. anticipation of divorce too, and say, we're freezing everything. And this is what's going to happen for the next year. And then we're going to decide. You got it. Yeah. So that's not bad. <laughs> no. Yeah. So you also mentioned estate planning mm -hmm. and that's, that, that's complicated. And I know that that can take a lot, but what does estate planning mean? I and mean, what is, what should people know about estate planning? You know, especially people who maybe are like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Do you need a certain amount of money to plan your estate? How can that help me? What is all that? So estate planning uh, in the very basic sense is I'm going to have a will and my will is going to direct where my assets go when I pass away. Instead of people going, you know, a free for all or trying to figure out who gets what, you've set that up. It's it's kind to your family um, for the most part. But estate planning in a really broad sense is planning during life for the preservation of wealth. So some people do estate planning that they start early on um, getting assets to children, doing some business succession planning, um, doing what's called asset freezes so that you can, I can give something to my adult son that is worth $5 now, but I get it out of my estate. It's not mine anymore. I gift it to him. And by the time he can really use it, it's worth $20. But I, my estate doesn't have to pay estate taxes on that $20. Um, so there's a lot. So it's a, it's a very, very broad area. Um, but it is basically two things, how to get things to the person that I want to get it to if when I die. And then there's how do I preserve my wealth, preserve it from creditors, preserve it from um, squabbling siblings, preserve it from estate taxes, preserve it from income taxes during my life. 
for the benefit of generations to follow. Okay. So how does that work if you're in a situation where there was a betrayal and maybe you're each going your different ways, but you still want to do right by your kids? Can you be divorced and still have an estate plan that takes care of your joint children? Absolutely. Some people will even do that together still, right? So I have a lot of parents who say, look, I want to make sure that you have an agreement with me that your first whatever percent of your estate goes to our kids. And I'm going to do the same thing. And I want you and I to agree that when you marry next, you're going to have a prenuptial agreement so that your new spouse doesn't have a claim for half of what you have to the detriment of our kids. And so people will do that. Um, it's, it's a little bit more complicated, but people can absolutely do that. So it seems to me like just about anything that you could conceive of in, in your head that might be helpful to get through this process, that might help your family or your kids, there's a legal remedy or a legal option for just about everything. There's a contract for that. Yeah, just about, <laughs> just about anything. So and the big like halt, though, is for things that would be a violation of public policy. And one of those things is preventing people from getting married or getting divorced freely. So that's the one thing where, again, if people agree and people are, are, you know, solid behind their own agreements, it's fine. But if you ever need to have a court enforce it, those things aren't going to get enforced. Okay. Because there's so much anger in the women that I coach, the women that I work with about the cheating partner getting remarried about their money going to her, about she's going to be my kid's stepmom. So is there anything, just to be gender specific on this one, a, a woman could do to prevent her husband's affair partner from becoming the kid's new stepmom? Even if she's a bad person, how would that work? Well, if she is um, abusive to children, and it's very specific, it's like, you have to say, this person abuses children, and so my children are in imminent danger of being physically abused, there's protection orders, and there's also, you know, limitation on dad's parenting time when he's with this person, but that's about it, and those are few and far between, um, mm -hmm. very few and far, I mean, these are like, has to come with the conviction for child abuse before. So you can't just go into the court and say, she's really got bad moral character. She is an adulteress and my husband is awful and he's not worthy of taking care of the kids because he cheated on me. That will not work. Mm -hmm. It seems like that really goes right back to what you were saying about mental health. People have to get really strong, yep. really solid. And, you know, even worse, Laura, what can happen in situations like that when people are really, you know, sticking with that position is what the judges see is what is happening is you're not supporting the relationship between the kids and dad for your own. And it has nothing to do with the kids' interests. It has to do with your agenda, your pain, your anger. And those judges who see that or think that's what's happening are going to separate mom from kids. That is so good to know. You can't be the crazy, angry, vindictive person. <laughs> it's kids first. And for the judges, it's my number one goal is to make sure kids have strong relationships with both parents because those kids do the best when they're adults. Yeah. And their own relationships and their own children. And, you know, Laura, one thing I tell people all the time is, you know, divorce is such a me time because you're so hurt. You're so vulnerable. Your entire identity and history has been challenged. Um, and you get, it's a me time. You get self-centered um, and you get now centered. But as we all know, most of us being children of disrupted families, this follows you. This follows your kids forever. This will affect your grandchildren. This will affect your grandchildren, how you do these divorces. That is huge. so important for people to understand. Yeah. I, I love that you said that because 
all of that is absolutely true. And as difficult as it is to do sometimes in an ethical (laughs) way, because you are so hurt. I think if we all step back and take a deep breath, everyone can agree. We do want what's best for our kids, for our, I love how you said it for our grandkids, but also ultimately for ourselves. And yeah, I don't know about you. I don't know about any of the listeners, but never, ever, ever have I done something out of revenge and anger that has served me well later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, ever. Yeah. So Kim, you're really wise. I mean, not only do you have 30 years of experience doing this, but you have that emotional intelligence to understand what's going on inside, to know what people are going through, to you know project onto the kids, the grandkids, all of that. You really have that emotional piece. I'm not sure if all attorneys understand that and can communicate that with such eloquence and compassion. Is there something that listeners can do that will help them in selecting attorneys that really get it, that get it legally, but also get it emotionally? Well, I'm not, I'm not really sure. You know, attorneys are put in a hard place too, because we're told, you know, go advocate for your clients and, and fight hard for your clients. And that's what people kind of expect and want. But we also want to be saying, look, here's, here's what I've seen over these years. And here's how to be successful going forward. Um, And it's a, it's a hard spot. I think people, I think people know in their gut, you know, you can talk to a lawyer and you can tell, but a lot of People are looking for that lawyer who's just going to go beat the heck out of the other guy. Um, and they're out there. And yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you're right. People are like, I, I want the bulldog. I want the whatever. But that ultimately is not in people's best interest. And in my experience, and maybe it's different, you have a different perspective, but in my experience, when people seek out that kind of an attorney, it ends up costing them more time and more energy and a lot more money. Yeah. I was going to say, it's great for the lawyer. You know, they don't have any, it's it's not their lives, their children or their grandchildren. That's going to get messed up. They're just going to make piles more money. And, and that's, that's why one of the reasons that we um, still see those folks out there, but also just, you know, the system of litigation of putting families into trial settings is, is not appropriate, but it's all we have. in color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So checking your gut, most attorneys offer some sort of a free consultation so you can have time with people and you can kind of get to know you can get to know the attorney and see if it's somebody that you'd like to work with. Mm-hmm. What typically happens in one of those free consultations and what should listeners have prepared in anticipation of a free consultation? So I think people should have like a list of the questions and most people do the list of the questions that they want answered, but also, you know, a, a list of the questions for yourself of why am I looking for a lawyer? Because if 75% of people don't use them or what would it, if you're looking for one, why is that? And that's one of my questions for people. I say, what makes you want to even use a lawyer? And then they'll tell me, and then it's like, okay, that's, this is not a good fit. Um, so ask yourself, why do I want a lawyer? And then see if that person that you're talking to seems to be what you're looking for. Um, and I think that's the best way because the fit is, so important like um you you tell your divorce lawyer pretty much everything they're going to learn even more and they're going to learn it from the person who knows you best um i tell my clients i will know you at the end of this better than any person on earth except your spouse and that's a big thing so if if somebody i'm representing doesn't trust what i'm saying or doesn't have a good fit with me, it's such a miserable experience for everybody, me included, but especially for them. And they don't deserve that, right? They just don't deserve. You need to find the person who it's okay for you to have knowing you better than anybody but your spouse. 
That's huge. That is so huge because you do have to share everything with your lawyer. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. So is it possible if you hire a lawyer, you start this process, is it possible then to change attorneys midstream? What does that look like? Um, Not good. So it's certainly possible. People certainly do it, but you know, it's a, it's kind of a red flag for the court that you're the problem. Either you hired somebody bad at first, or you're trying to get them to do something that they think is unethical or they won't do. Um, So like one change is kind of okay. Two changes, super bad, three changes, and you're, you're the problem. Um, But it's also really expensive, right? So in my practice, I won't take people who've had a lawyer first, because I don't want to clean up people's messes. I just don't. Um, And it's, you know, even for the attorneys who will, what happens is you have to go through everything. You have to clean up a mess or two. You're going to do some things differently. And so it's, it's, it's a costly thing, but there are bad lawyers out there. And sometimes you don't know that you signed up for a bad lawyer until they haven't returned your calls. They haven't returned your emails. Um, or they've done something else where you're just like, you, you're not listening and you're incompetent. Like you didn't, you spelled my name wrong, for instance, or file things on time, for instance. So take your time. And and it doesn't really matter if you do 10 free consultations until you find the right person for you. Okay. That makes sense. So then I love that your, your question, why are you looking for an attorney? What's the difference then between looking for somebody to advocate on your behalf and looking for a, a counselor, a legal advisor, someone to let you know what the law is, what you're entitled to, what to be aware of? What's the difference between all that? There, For most attorneys, I think there really isn't one. Um, I do, I, the services I offer are like the usual representation. I will do your case, I'll talk to the other side, I'll talk to the court, I'll file things for you. But I also do consulting, which is just, I'm not talking to any of those people, I'm talking to you. Um, You're gonna go into mediation, but you don't know how maintenance is figured. Or you have these burning questions that that the mediator is not gonna answer for you, for you. Um, So those people will come to me just for consulting, just for counseling. That's a great way to do things because you just get enough advice, you get, pointed in the right direction, you get feedback of, yeah, no, that's not going to work. But you don't get that person who is sending you a bill at the end of the month that you're like, you did what this month? (laughs) You know exactly what they did. They taught it in consulting. They talked to you. That was it. You know exactly what happened as opposed to these blind bills of, wow, I had no idea that you had to do X, Y, and Z this month. So for anybody, I think facing infidelity, reaching out to an attorney, hiring them for an hour of consulting or whatever of consulting is probably a really good idea. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And again, that is state specific, correct? Uh, Yes. So there are some states where fault matters, infidelity matters, not very many of them, but there Mm -hmm. are Okay. So reach out to a lawyer in your state. Now, what if you and your spouse are in different states? Those are fun. Um, So jurisdictional battles, if you will, are like the biggest waste of time and money that I can conceive of. Um, Basically, what what is ultimately going to happen is if two states could do the divorce, And usually if people live in different states, two states could do the divorce, find the state with the most stuff in it. Are the kids there? Is there a house there? Is there a business there? Um, Did they both start in this state and one went to California? When you find the state with enough stuff, contacts, um, pieces of information, just stay there. Even if you think Texas is gonna give you a better deal, just go to the place where it's most likely gonna happen because you could spend $20,000 fighting about where it's going to happen, but everybody, the lawyers know where it's going to happen. Got it. Okay. Now my last question is one that comes up all the time from the people that I work with. Um, When I find out that my spouse is cheated, does it matter if I leave or do I have to kick them out? Does it matter who stays or who goes? 
it does not matter who stays or who goes for the court. So there is no such thing as I've abandoned my house, I've abandoned my kids, unless you've abandoned your kids and you're not, you know, parenting them. Um, that's not an issue. The courts want you separated. The courts don't want you living in a toxic place that's going to be detrimental to your mental or physical health or your children's. So separate. There is sometimes a rocky road in between the I'm separating physically time and the time where things get um, smoother in terms of parenting time, right? Because there are some parents who just won't let the other parent have time. And if you've got little kids, it's not like you can like pick them up and move them. So that is a problem, but it usually gets worked out. And if you take the long view, um, then it's not as terrible of a thing, but it is painful for those weeks that it goes on. Yeah, absolutely. What else, if anything, can you think of that people might need to know that they might need to be aware of, whether it's in regards to marital agreements, divorcing, or estate planning, when they find out that there has been an infidelity? They need to know that the best thing that they can do for themselves or their families is to find the way to make peace with it. You're not going to fix it. You're not going to turn back time. Um, there's no different outcome. So the faster people can get to the place of seeing what their future could be, their bright future could be, the better. My goal with my clients is always to say, tell me what your life is going to look like after this. And let's create that. Yes. So well said. And that is so much harder to do. <laughs> so listeners, if you're hearing that, please take that in and please just let that settle. Even if you say, I have no idea, that's okay. Just keep taking that in and keep allowing it to settle because piece at a time, day at a time, that vision will come in and then you will know what to create. And of course, that is my job is to help you create that vision. That is Kim's job to help you put those legal pieces together and in place so that vision can be a reality. Above all else, please know that you have support. Please know that there are experts out there in any area that can help you create exactly what it is you want, even the vision of what it is that you want. Kim, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your time, for your insight. Where can listeners learn more about you? If they're in Colorado, reach out to you. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you for having me. This has been a great fun. Uh, my website is willoughbylaw.com. That's W-I-L-L-O-U-G-H-B-Y-L-A-W.com. And our phone number and our email addresses are on there um, if you like what you see. And I think that our website sort of uh, communicates in a little bit different manner who we are and how we do things. Yeah, absolutely. And will listeners from out of state, can they get any, any benefit from checking out your website, some of the stuff that's on there? Mm, Maybe. I do have a lot of people who have some nexus with Colorado mm -hmm. and can do marital agreements and estate planning pretty much across the nation. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, these, the, the domestic relations laws are state specific. So people should be looking towards attorneys in their states. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. So willoughbylaw.com, especially if you're in Colorado. And then if you need me, it's laurachedle.com, L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com. Listeners, thank you so much. If you do have any questions about today's episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, to Kim, and we will do our best to point you in the right direction if we can't answer your question specifically. Have an amazing week. Listen to this episode maybe another time or two, because as your situation evolves, you will probably have more questions that it is my hope this episode answered. Have an incredible week, and as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Do you feel betrayed by life, 
your body, or by someone that you love. You are not alone and you are not weak or overly emotional for feeling the way that you do. Betrayal is one of the most overwhelmingly painful experiences to navigate because it strikes at the core of who you are and what you are worth. No matter how gutted you feel, there is hope. You can flourish, not in spite of your experience, but because of it, I know. After 23 years of marriage, my world was shattered when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me with five different women for 15 years. I lost everything that day, my identity, my worth, and the future I had worked so hard to create. While it was a long and arduous journey back to myself, today I know who I am, what I want, and I am happier and more confident than I ever was before. I've got what I call naked self-worth, which is the ability to see, know, and love yourself for who you are, not for what you accomplished or for who you are in relation to others. No matter what has shattered your heart, if you're ready to get clear on who you are, what you want, and to learn how good life really can be, then life choreography is for you. Even if you feel too old or are too busy because you have kids at home and you're in charge of everything. Life Choreography is a comprehensive five-month, five-step program that empowers you to strip out of your labels, roles, and scripts and to reveal yourself as you are, not as you think you should be. To learn more, go to nakedselfworth.com and download your free guide that shows you how to untangle yourself from the past, reclaim your sexy, and start re-choreographing life on your own terms so you can love and be loved for exactly who you most authentically are. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.